With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders, also a successful author. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We've got a very important show uh, and a returning Page 2 expert, one of the most popular Page 2 experts we've ever had here on The Nonprofit Coach. Thrilled to be able to welcome back Gail Perry here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach. I'm coming to you live today uh, from New York City up here on uh, business. Uh, and uh, always here on the Nonprofit Coach, you can call in and ask questions of our Page 2 expert, as the announcer said, 347-324-3080. You can also join us over in the chat room. I see some folks over in the chat room. You can ask questions there. Or you can email me your questions today at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. First up here on the Nonprofit Coach over here in page one news, you can join us, uh, follow along as always by going to tedhart.com, click on radio links, uh, you'll be able to follow along and get the very best links in the nonprofit sector, not only for today's show, for, but the archives carry all of our shows going back the last couple of years. Uh, first up here, I want to share with you, unfortunately, Ava Aldrich, who normally joins us at this point each month with the CFRE Minute, uh, was not able to join us today, but she did send me the following update that she would like to share with you from CFRE. CFRE International is pleased to announce that the Japan Fundraising Association uh, is their newest participating organization. This is the first formal partnership between CFRE International and a peak fundraising body in Asia. So they're quite excited about this. You can find out more information by going to the radio links today, and you will find a link directly to CFRE.org. Also, CFRE International is gearing up for their spring conference season. They'll look forward to meeting all their current CFREs and future CFREs. Anyone who might have questions about the CFRE credential, of course, here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, we believe that it is important for professionals who have completed five years of service in the nonprofit sector to stand with your peers, uh, to stand for exam, and to show your dedication to the professionalism of our profession. Uh, by becoming a CFRE. Uh, You will find professionals from CFRE International at the Association of Lutheran Development Professionals. That's going to be in Jacksonville, Florida, 
uh, later on this month, uh, actually next week. Um, and the Fundraising uh, Institute of Australia, uh, that terrific conference uh, is being held uh, this month in Melbourne, Victoria, uh, Australia. The Association of Fundraising Professionals National Conference this year is in San Diego. You'll find the CFRE folks there from March 23rd through the 25th. They're also going to be over in Berlin at the German Fundraising Congress, uh, back over uh, to the Fundraising Institute of New Zealand, the FINS Conference in Auckland. Uh, that will be uh, April 9th through the 11th. Uh, then they'll be at the North American YMCA Development Officers Conference. That's going to be back in San Diego, um, and that's April 9th through the 12th. And the last update they wanted to ask that we provide to you today is that you will find uh, folks at the Institute of Development Professionals in Education Conference. That's in Tochester and North Hampshire. Uh, that's going to be in June. Uh, from June 16th through the 17th. So uh, we will have uh, a representative of the CFRE International back here on the Nonprofit Coach for the monthly CFRE Minute next month. Sorry they could not join us today. You will find the link over in the radio links uh, today at tedhart.com. Each year, as you know, uh, I am one of the hosts of the very important Digital Leap Conference up in Toronto. Uh, hard to believe it's now in its fifth year. Uh, each year this uh, uh, digital conference, which is inspired thinking for nonprofits in an online world, uh, has been a leader in bringing to North America uh, the very best in information and training for nonprofits related to the online world. Today we have Neil Galliford, uh, who's uh, my partner here. Um, he's uh, with Stephen Thomas uh, in uh, Toronto, and his firm uh, is the co-host of the Digital Leap Conference. Welcome here uh, back to the nonprofit coach, Neil Galliford. Hey, hey, how you doing? It's nice to hear your voice. Yeah, great to hear your voice as well, and uh, thank you again for your partnership. I think uh, this conference has just grown in both popularity and the need for this conference. Uh, so what I wanted to ask you to do today, and we do have a, a link directly to uh, the registration for Digital Leap over in the radio links today, so folks can um, uh, join us and register now. Um, and I believe that there's early bird uh, discount pricing available. So Neil, why don't you walk us through the fifth annual Digital Leap Conference. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ted, for this opportunity. Yes, well, uh, this is the fifth year, and uh, we've been very successful the last four years, I think. And, um, and, and so after, after last year's conference, we decided to challenge ourselves a little to, to, uh, to refresh, reinvent, uh, reinvigorate, uh, to change the conference a little bit so that uh, uh, we could keep going uh, and keep uh, delivering uh, great, great content to the, uh, to the nonprofit sector. So uh, we set out to do that, and I think we really, have, uh, we really have a great conference for people this year. Uh, well, the, the, we the Internet is constantly changing, and so you know, keeping a conference like this uh, up-to-date, fresh, and relevant is, of course, a, a bit of a challenge. Um, how have we managed to do that this year? Well, we've gone, uh, gone uh, looking for speakers who are really experts in their fields. Uh, we've uh, challenged them to, to bring us some, um, some great uh, high-level kinds of, uh, of presentations um, and some practical ones as well. Uh, we have a, a terrific re uh, uh, representative from Blackbaud, uh, Danielle Johnson-Vermenton, who is going to talk about the 10 things you can do to dramatically improve your online uh, fundraising results. Uh, she calls her session Good to Great. Uh, we have uh, a quite a well-known uh, email marketer named uh, Jeff Linton, who's with Inbox Marketer, Inc., uh, who will talk about uh, email. And I think you and I agree, Ted, that email is still uh, very significant uh, as a tool in, uh, in digital fundraising. Uh, we actually were uh, uh, pleased to be able to find someone from Google who will come and talk to us about the future in technology. And I, I think that'll be very thought-provoking and uh, interesting to think about what the world might look like in, in a few years. And uh, certainly yeah, Google I mean, that, is, that, is making that I mean, new world, right? So. Yeah, well, you know, I was yeah, just going to say that you know everything you've mentioned so far, of course, is extremely important both on the on the practical uh, and the forward-thinking side. But having the opportunity to get sort of an under-the-hood look at Google from someone at Google 
it's probably worth the price of admission to Digital Leap all by itself. Uh, yeah, we, we were very excited when uh, Hanoi Murillo uh, uh, agreed to uh, come to the conference, and uh, we've made her uh, one of the plenary speakers because we think that uh, everyone will want to hear what uh, what secrets are coming out uh, in in the future, uh, the next few years. Well, there's also someone named Ted Hart uh, who's going to do his. Uh, <laughs> His very famous uh, session on uh, website evaluations that's done in real time. It's the only session I've ever seen like that. And, uh, Ted, I know uh, everybody loves to do this because uh, it really is up to the minute because you're dealing with real-time analysis of uh, what people are doing online. Um, This year is going to be very interesting because we're going to add a mobile component to that so that people can... Uh, see what their websites look like on the mobile on a mobile platform, and of course, I expect there'll be some tears. Uh, perhaps there'll be some some cheers, but uh, I think uh, that's really important for for charities to recognize well, that uh, you know more than half the people in Canada at least are looking at their website on a mobile device as opposed to uh, um, at their workstation. Right, and and as I always mention in those sessions, we you know we will see the the good, the bad, and the what were they thinking. Yes, <laughs> very much so. And uh, there's a very interesting company named uh, HubSpot, which uh, people may be aware of. And uh, they've agreed to come and talk to us about uh, about how to monitor and, and perfect their, their online relationships with people uh, using, uh, using modern tools. So uh, Rachel Sable will be here uh, to tell us all about, uh, about uh, that side of things. Um, I'm particularly we, thrilled uh, about that, Steve. Steve, I just wanted to make a specific mention of uh, HubSpot because uh, listeners, longtime listeners of the Nonprofit Coach, of course, are very familiar with uh, with HubSpot as a as a group that we are constantly following here. And, and as a matter of fact, as soon as we wrap up talking about Digital Leap, we have a page one update from HubSpot today. Uh, so those of you who are listening, you can uh, come to Digital Leap and, and hear live uh, an expert uh, from HubSpot. Uh, pay attention today that we've got an update here on the Nonprofit Coach as well. Well, that's fantastic. And uh, like we're very excited about the, the lineup of speakers. Um, we also have uh, some, uh, some interesting case study sessions planned so that uh, uh, some leading nonprofits are going to share their experience with with their online uh, communications, marketing, and, and fundraising. Uh, those will be short TED Talk like uh, like presentations of uh, 20 minutes of really practical experience, uh, uh, so we can all learn from the experience of others uh, online. Um, I have to I have to give a shout out to our our sponsors because uh, this conference is a very reasonably priced conference for the not for profit sector, and that can only happen because of our sponsors. So I just want to mention that uh, Blackbot is back uh, as a platinum sponsor along with uh, uh, JMG Care Two is as uh, as uh, people know uh, they're they're a sponsor. Artez will be sponsoring again, and 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 Stratcom, who's a who is a, a um, telemarketing agency here in Canada will all be sponsors and there will be others that I'll mention at another time. So that's, uh, those sponsors allow us to offer the uh, pricing at a really reasonable level for, for not-for-profits. And, uh, and as you said, I mean, when you, if you take advantage of the early bird draw, uh, the early bird ticket pricing, I don't think you can get a better, more valuable deal than you, than you can get for this conference. That's terrific. We have an update from CFRE.org. Uh, just before you joined us here on the show today. And, of course, uh, this uh, Digital Leap Conference is an approved provider for continuing education credits uh, for those who are seeking to uh, uh, obtain the CFRE credential or to renew. Yeah, that's fantastic. We're very proud of the fact that uh, we've been recognized as uh, as such a valuable resource in uh, the education of, of, uh, of uh, not-for-profit marketers. So um, that's a great thing. Well, Steve, I, I can't, uh, or Neil, I, rather, um, from Stephen Thomas, um, I can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, making a, this announcement of the fifth annual Digital Leap Conference. That is going to be Thursday, May 1st at the Art Gallery of Ontario in Toronto. Um, I think, Neil, you're going, to be, uh, you're going to be back again a couple of times before Digital Leap uh, with some more updates and some information on uh, why folks uh, should make sure that they get uh, to Toronto 
and make sure that they're at uh, the fifth annual Digital Leap Conference. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to let people know about this, and uh, uh, thank you very much for having me on. And I will come back and uh, update people on uh, on uh, on other uh, new items related to Digital Leap this year. That's terrific. Well, I look forward to our continued partnership. Uh, that's Neil Galliford uh, from Stephen Thomas uh, up in uh, Toronto, uh, one of the uh, uh, two hosts of the Digital Leap Conference. Uh, the other is uh, myself, uh, the uh, CAP America. Uh, organization that I'm the CEO of uh, is the uh, the host the other host of Digital Leap this year. So uh, Neil, thank you again for joining us and bringing us the uh, important information uh, about Digital Leap. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, as promised, as Neil just mentioned, we will have an expert from HubSpot, and today we're sharing with you over in the radio links uh, one of their terrific free guides, uh, the HubSpot free guide on how to generate leads using Facebook. You can download that going directly to tedhart.com. Click on radio links. 74% of marketers say that Facebook is important to their lead generation strategies. Uh, so what are you waiting for? What are you doing? And how are marketers uh, actually using Facebook uh, to benefit uh, their companies and their organizations? You're going to actually, in this downloadable free guide, receive the fundraising advertising campaign plan, which will include goals, uh, your advertising plan, targeting, budget, and tracking. So make sure that you get that today uh, over in the radio link. So make sure that you get yourself to Digital Leap uh, so that you can uh, hear from uh, experts directly from uh, HubSpot. Uh, next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach over here in the radio links, uh, you're going to find the e-nonprofit benchmark study, one of the most important studies each year. Uh, and you're going to find that uh, in this they analyze the results of 1.6 billion email messages sent to over 45 million subscribers, 6.5 million online gifts totaling $438 million raised, and 7.3 million advocacy actions. And you actually can download this report. Uh, this uh, adds up to an awful lot of information. Uh, you're going to find the importance, as Neil just mentioned, uh, email continues to be extremely important. Um, but what is happening with email fundraising? Uh, there's, uh, in this report, there's a drop in email fundraising response rate. So what is this combination of uh, email and social media? How can you increase uh, your um, uh, your success in utilizing these tools. Well, making sure that your strategy is driven by data uh, is extremely important. And I think uh, the uh, e-nonprofit uh, benchmark uh, study is one place for you to make sure that you stop each year and know what's, uh, what's up in these areas. You're also going to find over in the radio links today um, from Miratel Solutions uh, trying to answer the question, will the Twitter overhaul alter how you use the tool for nonprofit fundraising. So again, this, this combination of online, social media, mobile, how does all of this uh, come together? Uh, as I mentioned here in their continuing effort to share the best of nonprofit fundraising tips via social media, they're focusing in this particular approach that you'll find over in the radio links today on Twitter. Uh, as uh, we have shared here on the Nonprofit Coach, Twitter is in the process of rolling out a major redesign of the platform that at first glance uh, makes it hardly recognizable to what you've seen from Twitter in the past. Uh, it wouldn't uh, worry unduly um, about this, uh, except that these changes do need to be calculated into your overall um, strategy and uh, probably not terribly surprising, the new profile page for Twitter uh, has an uncanny resemblance to Facebook. So will this change how people use Twitter? Will this change the overall dynamics? Um, and uh, so read all about that over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Um, with that, uh, it is now time for us to welcome our page two expert, Gail Perry, here on The Nonprofit Coach. Gail Perry is one of the foremost experts in the nonprofit sector. She has been here a guest on the Nonprofit Coach before, always one of our most popular uh, uh, guests here on the Nonprofit Coach. She is, in fact, the CFRE. 
Uh, she's speaking today on new rules for fundraising and changing times. Don't get left behind. Uh, in the best-selling author, she's a best-selling author of Fired Up Fundraising: Turn Board Passion into Action, uh, and that was published by John Wiley and Sons. Her Fired Up Fundraising approach developed over the past 22 years. As a nonprofit philanthropy expert, she has helped organizations raise hundreds of millions of dollars in gifts and support. Gail brings fundraising ideas alive, leaving audiences inspired all over the place, energized and excited about the work that she does. Her popular board retreats, easy fundraising for board members, and friend-making for board members are industry favorites. Uh, and she is certainly one of our favorites here on The Nonprofit Coach. Welcome back, Gail Perry. How you doing, Ted? Good to be here. Thank, I appreciate the invitation. Well, Gail, you know, as we were mentioning in the green room before we started the, the show, I, I find it absolutely shocking that it has taken us a couple of years to get you back here on the show. Your, your ratings are always very, very high, but I know you're extremely busy. So thank you for making the time for us today. And the topic that, that you've chosen today could not be more timely. Um, and certainly, you know, uh, tying things back to the Digital Leap Conference up in, in Toronto, um, this, this whole notion of new rules for fundraising and changing times and all of the use of technology and how all of that relates is so, uh, so important. But I actually want to sort of take a step back before we get into this very important topic and make sure that those who um, maybe have been living under a rock and have not heard of Gail Perry, um, tell us a little bit more about you and your firm and your work, and then we'll get into this important topic. Sure, Ted. Thank you so much. And I just want to say um, that I'm fascinated by this um, this LEAP conference. I'm going to have to see if I can go because um, oh, we, I, love you know, we all have to stay time. up, you know. <laughs> yeah, it would be great to have you there. Yeah, and, you know, I'm keynoting the conference you were talking about in New Zealand in April. Um, so I'm, I am a moving target, so that's probably why we hadn't really gotten together. Uh, but, you know, I started in fundraising a long time ago at Duke University here in North Carolina, and then I moved over to Chapel Hill, UNC Chapel Hill, where I directed the Keenan Flagler Business School fundraising program, and been a consultant forever. Um, I got really upset with all the boards I was working with as a consultant, and so I wrote this book <laughs> with some new ideas, and that was the topic of our, our former conversation on your show. Uh, and now I do an awful lot of public speaking around the world, a lot of training. I, um, I'm very popular with boards because um, my number one motto is, when in doubt, throw a party. So I try to make fundraising accessible and fun and and mission possible for board members. Um, and, you, and you've been a guest on my particular series called The Insiders, which is a training program. I bring the latest gurus with the very most recent and up-to-date strategies that smart fundraisers need. So that's a really fun project that I've been working on really hard this past two or three years. And I was really honored uh, to have the opportunity to be part of that program. So thank you for including me. Yeah, and you're going to be back in early September, the first week of September. We're doing the 2014 Telesummit on year-end fundraising to help everybody oh, uh, tw tweak their year-end fundraising programs and get, them, get the, the, the top gurus in the business um, are coming together. This is the third time I've done it, and it's been really, really well-received across the sector. Well, thank you for inviting me back. And uh, that, that series really has become uh, more and more popular. How, how many years have you done that series? This is the third time I've done it. I did it first in '09 just to figure out what was, what was um, online all about. And now that we know, um, I um, um, did it last year, and it was so successful that I wanted to re recreate it this year. Because I think the, 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 the trends for smart, the smartest possible fundraising do shift from year to year. And I think people really do want some guidance on how to nail their appeal letter, how to integrate their appeal letter with their website, uh, how to use the Internet to support um, a, as a critical component in their year-end fundraising campaign. It's, it's very complex to do a smart, multifaceted, multi-channel campaign. Don't you think so, Ted? Well, I think it, I think it can be, and, it, and it's important to learn how these tools work together. I, I always try to make sure that our listeners here and when I'm lecturing and when I'm writing, uh, that they don't allow themselves to get too overwhelmed, that they don't allow themselves uh, to get caught, so caught up in the technology that they lose sight of the fact that this is still very much a people-to-people -people business. And so uh, I do yeah. try to, um, uh, to make sure that uh, uh, they don't uh, you know, sort of get beyond that. 
That's a good point. You know, I was just reading uh, one of my favorite quotes that I, I came up with is that if you want passionate donors, you've got to write passionate letters. And <laughs> I right. see the most boring blah, blah, blah letters coming out, and people don't understand why they have inspired their donors to give. Um, well, that's another that topic. Times, well, I think it is an important topic, but I, I think that yeah. a lot of times those uninspired letters really come from a mindset that – um, you know, we're a good charity, we're, we do good work, so you should just give us money. Um, you know, and, and there is a bit of an expectation that the money will come rather than putting the emphasis on the relationship with people who don't owe you anything. Yeah, and, and I see there's a, there's a lack of skill in actually how to write an appeal letter that there's still a lot of people out there that think it needs to be like an English paper, an expository um, um, paper and and marketing writing is so very different. It's night and day different from your the way you learn to write in in English class in high school and college. Uh, so I think it's really fun to track. Uh, one of the things I do in my blog, um, and you know I've got over twenty thousand subscribers now to my blog. Uh, oh, wow, I publish every Friday morning. Yeah, um, one thing. In fact, I did a post um, yesterday, last, Friday before last, and and I just felt like being off the wall because it was I was snowed in. And so I wrote a post about 10 ways to get your um, – how to get your emails open and read by the right person. And, you know, I made some jokes, but I talked a lot about subject lines and the from, you know, very specific things to do. And uh, that post is still flying all over Twitter, and people are talking and laughing about it. And, Ted, before I get into our conversation today, I have to give you my deep, dark secret that I revealed in that post that, um, that. I, study, <laughs> I study my subject lines really carefully in my emails, you know, and I track open rates, and I try to see how do I make this interesting. And the most um, successful um, uh, subject lines that I have used have come from, guess where I've knocked off those most successful subject lines? The cover of Oprah magazine. The cover of Oprah. (laughs) Don't be a fundraising dinosaur. Five trends to adopt right now. (laughs) No, five big ideas to adopt right now. And then 36 ways to make 2014 your best fundraising year ever. You know, right off the cover of Oprah. Well, but I do think you know one of the the points that you're bringing up is people like lists. They like uh, the simplicity mm-hmm. of lists. They like to know the top ten, the top five, the top whatever. Um, so I think that that in and of itself is you know is a bit of a strategy. Um, if you can help people understand your mission, your cause, um, you know what are the top five things that you succeed at? What are the top five needs of your organization? Um, those yeah. sorts of L- things. Lists, you know, make yeah. it easy lists to do really start. well online because. I, th- I think the online reader is just such in a hurry, and they're skimming, 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 skimming. Can I empty my inbox today or just get winnow it down? And so you really have to be very catchy. And one of the things I want to talk about in today's conversation about new trends is that um, donors, of course, are still giving largely by mail. Uh, and online, I think giving was only slightly less than 6% last year, but it's growing rapidly. But I have seen a lot of organizations drop their paper donor newsletters and switch to online communications. And they're doing a terrible – they were better at paper newsletters than they are at their online donor newsletters, and they're failing terribly, I think, at the online communications. So even if they're not raising the money directly online – um, and that's changing rapidly too. They still need to be able to really nail the subject lines, and to make it interesting. And 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 email communication is a lot more casual, um, a lot a little bit more playful. You know, I tell everybody you got to wear your heart on your sleeve, and if you can't do that, you're not going to raise money online. Uh, because if anybody listening today reads my blog, you know that I show my personality, I make mistakes. You know, I'm a real person. I talked about my daughter's wedding last year, and everybody was sick of that. But, um, you know, you, you that's and, – and I think it's hard for an executive director of an organization who feels like he or she is representing the hospital foundation, that they have to be formal. But formal doesn't get it because a lot of this stuff is called social media for a reason because it's social, right? And it's well, that's fun. why I always challenge people. I say if you want to be successful on social media, you have to learn how to be social. Um, so a lot of <laughs> yeah. people – you know, for a lot of people, that really is a, a tall order because they're, it is. they're used to wordsmithing everything. They're used to controlling every piece of communication. And unfortunately, you know, part of your discussion today is around, you know, rules that have changed. And the rules that have changed is that, 
you know, there is an expectation that you will be what, what I call a 360-degree person, that there, there is mm-hmm. a whole person there. It's not just the corporate self. Um, and not that Absolutely. everybody wants to or you should share every detail of your life, but there does need to be some sense that there's a real person there who has a real life, that they're trustworthy. They're, the, the sort of level of transparency is up to you, uh, but it can't be zero. Yeah, and, you know, I also want to say that, um, and this is an important trend um, that's part of my conversation today, is that if you want attention in your direct mail and in your Internet, your online presence, that I'm seeing a certain quality be the, um, the, the golden key to breaking through to your reader's bored and jaded and overwhelmed um, mind because we're inundated with mail, we're inundated with email, and what breaks through, you know what it is? It's something that's quirky, something that might look surprising or delightful. Uh, I do think that that a little bit of a twist or sense of humor can quickly set you apart in somebody's inbox. And again, that's a risk that nonprofits are really afraid to take. And I have a, a popular blog post that I have written and spoken a lot about in a lot of my presentations around the world. And it's a, um, a campaign by the Toronto um, Second Harvest Food Bank. And they wanted, you may be familiar with this very famous campaign, Ted, that they wanted to buy a new food truck for okay. to deliver food in Toronto. And then they engaged this fabulous firm called Agents for Good, like Secret Agent, Agents for Good, John Lepp and Jen Love are so smart. And the, the firm wrote an appeal letter at, from the truck, from the food truck, it said, and itself, and said that the letter opens up, hi. I'm sitting here in a parking lot hoping that some that somebody will buy me so I can deliver food to hungry men, women, and children in our community. You know, it's a charming letter. And there's a little cartoon drawing of the truck on the outside of the envelope, and it says, I'm so happy I could beep. <laughs> and, you know, and that, that campaign, um, $20,000 on the campaign, which is a significant investment, but the campaign raised 80000 in a matter of weeks. So that's a great example of um, just how um, how to use the concept of surprise and delight and quirkiness to get attention, get attention. And there's another famous, uh, I think Tom Ahern has written about this one, uh, the same firm was working with a bird, I think it was a hummingbird um, sanctuary, and they wrote the letter, the fundraising letter from the bird. And it said, hi, I bet you've never gotten a letter from a bird before. Well, I've never written a letter either. You know, it's just hilarious. Um, but not, not everybody, like you say, not everybody's comfortable in that at all. So I want big tip, big tip for new rules of changing times, wear your heart on your sleeve, show some personality, and be willing to use surprise and delight in your fundraising and in your online communications, and you will get much more attention. Hooray. Correct. Well, um, that's absolutely true. Um, so the, the the takeaway here is also one of creativity as well. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, be willing yeah, to take the don't, risk. You know. Right, take the risk. Talk, now, don't be yeah. so so stodgy as to think that you know there's only one way to write a letter, or we've always done it this way and we've raised money. But your competition is becoming more creative. If you don't, you're going to find that you're going to lose the market you think you have. Absolutely, and you know what I do? I watch the poli- – I get a lot of political emails because I'm a political donor, and I, the, the political campaigners are state-of-the-art email um, um, fundraising, and so I'm watching, watching, watching what they're doing, and I'm finding that one word – I sent out a, my, my, art, my newsletter on Friday had one word. It was called overwhelmed question mark. So I was trying the use of the question in the subject line and also the one-word subject line. Um, I haven't checked my open rates, but um, you never know, right? You've got to keep testing and trying. Right. Um, but, Ted, I want to talk a little bit about donors because I, I think that all fundraising should be based around what we know about our donors and what we think our donors or what we can find out that our donors are thinking and wanting. Um, and so we don't have to make it up. You know, you can do data, data-based, um, data-oriented fundraising. 
And one of the things that I'm seeing in donors, um, and nobody's really talked a lot about this in public, but I do, is that the post-recession donor has lost a lot of trust in, gosh, what have we lost trust in? Our government, the banking system, your 401k, you know, that your housing, you know, the, the structure of society took such a blow in the recession and around the world that people are less trustful and their, their barometers that, that, that um, track this, they're less trustful not only of these big institutions, but that filters over to nonprofits. And there was a survey in 2012 that said that uh, most Americans, um, only only one out of every two Americans think that nonprofits can be trusted to do what's right. So if we consider that donor trust is a real issue, then gosh, we can create some strategies to build trust. And I remember when I was, um, I don't do direct consulting any longer, I just do the teaching and training and speaking, but... Um, I remember when I was a consultant, I would sit down with my clients, and we would have the big C discussion. The big, it was always an important discussion, the big C. And the big C was credibility. And so we would, we'd sit down and we would say, how are we going to build credibility for this project in front of our donor community? You know, what can we do? We need to show who's behind us. We need to print our board members and our committee members' names. We need to do what we say we'll do when we say we'll do it. Uh, and also, I'm sure you'll agree with me here, is that donors are very uncomfortable about giving to the black hole of unrestricted, and they are more and more suspicious of un- the unrestricted uh, appeal. And I think unrestricted appeals are lazy fundraising, and you can quote me on that. That I think well, that you can now, take. Now, tell us what you mean by that lazy fundraising, as opposed okay, to what, well, look, what right. should be the norm. Okay, because some of my friends, here's somebody, they write me and say, Gail, you know, we have to raise administrative money to run these programs. So how are we going to make, a, make our, um, our annual appeal more specific? And I said, well, listen, write the donors and say, we need $100,000 to run these programs so all these children can get served. Because running the program is administrative, right? And so I think a lot of it is wordsmithing. You know, and here's another example. I have a friend who runs um, Interact in Raleigh. Um, our um, it used to be it, it's a battered women's shelter but, um, organization, but it also houses a number of nonprofits. And I think now all they do is operate the facility. So my friend Lee, who's head of Interact, she said, "Gail, we just operate a facility. We don't do any direct programs. How can I talk about the successes of our program?" And I said, Lee, how much money, how many people come through the doors of your building a year? She said, about 30,000 people. And I said, well, how much does it cost you to run your organization per year? And she gave me the number. I said, well, let's do the math. You know, and you can ask people that for $50, you can help us serve 100 people. And so it's just a way to look at your unrestricted and be original. And be creative. I mean, I've got an, a, an MBA, and I'm very comfortable with accounting. And you know, um, I, I think you, you're not you're not violating any trust by by saying that you're raising money to run a program or to help us serve all these people. Uh, and so then you can go back to your donors when you need to report back to them and say, you know, you were so kind to make a gift last fall, and we pooled your money with all the other donors that enabled us to keep our building open for six months so that 15,000 of our community members, everybody from uh, domestic violence survivors on down the list, could get the help they need. You are so wonderful, Mr. and Ms. Donor. And that's a creative um, way to bring stewardship into the, yeah. the act as well. Yeah, yeah, you got to loop back on the stewardship thing. If you ask the donor for money to run a program, then you need to write them a thank you letter back and say, okay, well, this is these are the programs you help run. <laughs> um, so I, I do, and I'll tell you another trend that I, um, I've been talking, you know, Kitty LaRue Miller, who runs the nonprofitmarketingguide.com blog, because she's one of the go-to experts in nonprofit communications. And Kitty actually is in North Carolina um, with a um an international following too, but I've said to Kivy I want to write a book with her, and the name of the book is going to be called Fund Marketing. It's no longer fundraising, it's fund marketing. Because I would make the assertion that the way we are communicating, uh, and I mean the way we're communicating the look of what we're doing, um, the quirkiness of what we're doing, the content of what we're saying, 
is in fact comprising what fundraising is and that and if you're just studying the art of the ass the old-fashioned art of the ass fundraising training you're missing the boat because you've got to be able to communicate and when i when i work with some people and i'm saying okay well now what are the top three reasons donors should give to your organization oh well we're not so sure about that that's the kind of stuff you've got to be communicating so people, um, you know, I highly recommend um, a program that Kivi runs on her site uh, that trains people in content marketing and how to use um, um, how to use the internet and how to use paper to talk to your donors. Uh, because we, it's you know, fundraising has gotten so much more complex. We have to master all these different skills. You know, like here I'm studying subject line openings in email, and 10 years ago that was not an important skill for a fundraiser, you know. Right, and again, going back to how the market is uh, is changing. Gail, I'm going to ask you uh, yeah. just to hold that thought, and when we come uh-huh. back to uh, sure. uh, to Gail Perry, she's going to have her next uh, hot tip for uh, success in a changing marketplace. We're going to take a quick break uh, here on The Nonprofit Coach. We'll be right back with Gail Perry. Great. Just a little bit of a program uh, note, of course, today we have Gail Perry here uh, as our page two expert. Next week, Philip King will be here uh, talking uh, with us about mobile and online fundraising. Uh, Time to stop thinking about it and start doing it. Uh, And then I'm very, very excited, and I hope that you will all mark your calendar and that you'll be here with us for our big fourth anniversary show. Hard to believe the uh, nonprofit coach will be celebrating its fourth anniversary online here on March 11th. And, of course, our shows are always at 12 noon Eastern. So please make sure that you have marked your calendar, and that's our uh, program update for the next couple of weeks. Uh, We've got a a quick uh, little announcement, just a little bit of an update here uh, from Microsoft, and then we'll head back live with Gail Perry. Introducing the new office. Explore new services that personalize your experience and enjoy the freedom of office when and where you need it with seamless roaming access to your applications, your documents, your personalized settings. It's the office you know and trust. Transform. Office introduces exciting new features and a gorgeous new look that make it easier for you to get things done. Express your ideas and stay connected. Sign into your account from virtually anywhere and discover your documents and settings that stay with you on the Windows 8 devices you love. Imagine. Connect. Discover. Welcome to your modern office. Try it today. And that's the new Microsoft Office. Uh, and uh, you can check that out. More details over at tedhart.com. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we're live here uh, with Gail Perry, New Rules for Fundraising in Changing Times. Gail, you've already given us some uh, really terrific uh, pointers uh, on these new rules. What's the next new rule? Well, you know, I'm going to go back to my donors who I track and sniff. I'm like the helicopter fundraiser circling around my donors. And, you know, we see a lot. Uh, Chronicle of Philanthropy just get, uh, published their t- 50 top, biggest, 50 largest donors. And it's clear that the, you know, wealth is being concentrated in the upper 1%. And so the big gifts are going to happen more and more. So if you are an organization that has some mega, mega 
um, potential prospects, you need to be obsessing. I would brush my teeth every morning wondering how I can get this wonderful prospect to think well of our cause. And I want to mention, um, talking about raising big money, uh, a couple of years, maybe it was last year, Stanford University raised one billion dollars in one year and i'm thinking lord have mercy this is this is new ground and so i was reading the article and the lady who wrote the article said something so interesting in the article and i think this is the secret key that every nonprofit can take away from this news story whether you are the local uh, meals on wheels food bank or whatever or you are a very very large international institution and here is the key that um the um, um, gosh, you know, I just had a mental blank. I'm building all up. That the donors are looking for. This lady wrote the wrote the article about Stanford, and she said that they had really big ideas about who they could be and what they could do. And those words just resonated so much with me. Do you have really big ideas? about who you can be and what you can do. Like if you're a little old community nonprofit struggling along, you need to be telling everybody your big ideas about who you can be and what you can do, and you will be able to raise big money. And it's that kind of, that's the land of vision. You know, that's the place where energy is powerful, that when you can stand high up on the hill and yell out to the community and your supporters your big ideas about who you can be and what you can do, people are saying to themselves, wouldn't it be wonderful if? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we can do this? So, you know, lots of times nonprofits talk a lot about, oh, we're serving so many people and we're working so hard and we got this award, and they're talking about the wrong thing instead of their vision for a better world, a better community, and how you, Mr. and Ms. Donor, can participate. So I yeah, do Nikki, think... Drawing that, that direct connection, Gail, drawing yeah. that direct connection to how you matter. Um, but I, I do want to just go back and explore a little bit more. I mean, I, I don't want people to go away and uh, thinking that somehow it's not the right thing to do to measure and to know what it is that you do now. Uh, because I, my fear is that a lot of nonprofits simply can't even tell that narrative. They bring in the money. They know that they do good work. They're trying to keep the doors open, but they can't necessarily even tell the narrative of how that money actually makes a difference other than yeah. keeping the doors well, open. I, I agree, and you know, thank you for that because um, surely by now, Everybody in nonprofit fundraising has, is sick of the word outcomes, right? <laughs> that out, we are living and breathing and dying on our outcomes. And I, I guess I was accepting the fact that people already know that if they're not reporting their outcomes to their donors, that they're losing ground because everybody else is. And that one of my trends that I'm looking at is that in, we're moving away from outcomes and toward big data. God help us. I mean, there was also a cover article in the Chronicle of Philanthropy this week about big data and how nonprofits are um, mining the data to try to figure out who their donors are. And let me give you some examples. You might have seen that article. I was fascinated by it because there were nonprofits of all sizes. There's a Dallas museum that decided to dispense with um, their uh, uh, membership fee or their interest fee. So you could get in free if you'd filled out this survey um, that let us collect data about who's coming to the museum. And they found out that there was one zip code in the city where people weren't visiting as much as others, so they put up bull, um, billboards in that part of the city to try to bring more citizens in from that part of the community. Uh, and then the bigger nonprofits, uh, I read, are hiring data analysts to look mm -hmm. at their donor profile, the profiles of the big donors they have right now, and to seek, um, I don't know how they do that, and Lord knows I didn't major in statistics, to look through the, the rest of their donor files to see if they can see giving patterns that would indicate that somebody fits the same profile as their big well, donors Gail, right I, now. As I've mentioned here on this show several times, I, I call that managing by fact, that, that you have to be able to measure and track that kind of data so you that you're to. not just managing your organization by gut or by instinct, which maybe there was a time that you could do that because, I don't know, maybe it was a romantic, simpler time that uh, you know, managing by, by gut or instinct would get you by. But the competition is too great. Dollars are too tight uh, yeah. to be able to succeed with that kind of approach. 
Yeah, and you know, and I I call it fundraising by the numbers. You know, yeah. and that lot, one of the problems we have is that executive directors and boards think they challenge the fundraising staff, and somehow they think that they might know more about fundraising than the fundraising staff. I mean, I, in my, when I was consulting, I had CEO of a university say to me or the chancellor say, I don't know whether to believe my fundraising staff. And I also heard the same words come out of an executive director's mouth of a local nonprofit here in Raleigh. I don't know if I can believe them or not. And so I think fundraisers are having a tough what, time. Um, and what do you think they were questioning? I mean, what what is it that that they aren't quite sure they can believe? Well, I think, you know, fundraisers are saying I can only do so much. I can't do three events a year plus raise major gifts plus um, um, run an annual campaign and bring the kind of money you want, but nobody understands. I, don't, I mean, there needs to be a greater understanding and a smart business strategies about how many people does it take to run a fundraising operation. And also, this is my favorite, what's the ROI of each staff member in the, in the fundraising department? Like if we hired somebody new to do major gifts, that person should pay back five or even ten times their salary after a couple of years. Right. Uh, and, well, and that's I, an important measure. Let, let's not let's not skip by that too quickly. That's yeah. an important measure for yeah. my listeners today to understand. So that's sort of the ROI there. What what about uh, special events or annual giving? Um, wh- how do you measure that kind of success? Well, the, there, there's some industry yeah. there's some industry wide stats that we look at that the typical. Um, the cost per dollar raise, which is sort of the ROI on a fund rate and on an event, is like two to one. It's like it, for for you bring in a hundred thousand, it's going to cost you maybe fifty thousand to get it. So so you talk about a very high cost to raise a dollar when you've got a fifty percent um, only only a, that tiny what do you call it profit margin or whatever. Uh, events are the least efficient way to raise money. And then if you look at your annual campaign and your Internet campaigns, it usually costs 25 cents on the dollar. Uh, and so just like that uh, campaign for the food truck, they spent 20000 They made 80000 in a matter of weeks, not just long term. So that's the typical payback of profitability of direct mail. And then, of course, major gifts and capital campaigns are only $0.05 cents on the dollar. They are the most profitable kind of of fundraising, but they're also the scariest kind. And I think people start with events, and then they move to their mailing campaign and try to perfect that, and then they move on to the larger donors. Uh, I have well, a major they have coaching to build that program. Base. They, they have hmm? to build that base. I mean, they have to build that have base to build and build that credibility because, you know, sure, it would be fun to say, you know, listen, we're not going to do any events. We're not going to do any annual appeals. We're just going to raise big money. Okay, well, good luck with that if you have no, well, no actually, uh, market share. Um, <laughs> Ted, I worked with a client who deliberately made that decision. And, and I guess I won't say who they are, but they're, condu- they're raising a half a billion dollars across the United States for an overseas university. And they made a strategic decision that they could not afford a broad-based, they couldn't afford a broad-based campaign. And right. instead, they placed major gift officers in all the key, the 14 key cities in the U.S. and yeah, are running where, where a major gift program. Right, but where were the prospects coming from? I, my point is, is that you have to have market share. You have to have market presence um, if you're going to put an emphasis on major gifts. I agree. I agree. And these people had ways to get their prospects. Um, right. Exactly. But I do think it's interesting, and I, I would like to I, – I coach people when they say, you know, the board, the board, my boss and my board won't – they want to invest in fundraising. I tell them that they should start using the word profit. And I think some, if we could somehow use the word profit and get people who run nonprofits to understand that there is profit in the fundraising department, you know, it's not a law, it's not a black hole. That money just gets sink, sunk into it. There's a there's there's money to be made, and and I would love to see a greater entrepreneurial mindset on the part of many board members and executive directors because they view oh my gosh we can't afford to hire another staff person. That's their mentality. Um, but listen, I want to talk about another type of donor. You know, I go back to the donor theme over and over, and I am so intrigued by a study that came out of the Center for Women, the Women's Philanthropy Institute at the Center on Philanthropy at Indiana University, which is probably one of our most respected think tanks. And they found that older women make 
give more often and give larger amounts than any other donor segment. And their study, and I'm going to quote this directly, a study of affluent older adults um, found that for every $100 men gave, the women in the same economic circumstances gave $258. And I'm just stunned at this at this this data and you know I was working with a big community foundation a bunch of board members in the Chicago area and the men there were a couple of men that actually took issue with that they said well why is that why is that but I do encourage people to when they're looking at their major gifts prospects that I do think sometimes older ladies are the forgotten people or they they somehow are invisible in our society and usually sometimes I'll force people in discussion groups and say make a list of five or ten um, older ladies who fit this profile that you might want to have coffee with in the next two or three months uh, and people people usually report back that they are they they come up with some serious names mm-hmm. you know so I think well, that this is a great tip. Your, that's also knowing your your donor base and you know who's mm-hmm. been giving and, and where. So what's the next new rule? Um, we've got uh, just a few minutes left, and I want to make sure that we get through the new rules that you have for fundraising in changing yeah. times, and I want to make sure that my listeners know how to reach Gail Perry. Okay. Well, you know, I um, worry a little bit about the changing types of activist donors, and I think we all need to be ready for a donor who walks in talking words like ROI, and the word the words venture philanthropy scare me to death <laughs> as a traditional fundraiser, because I think that the activist type of donor wants to get in your mess and wants to dive down. And these are really big fish. These are people who probably bought, built and sold companies. They know what they're doing, but they may not know your business, your industry. So I'm watching the venture philanthropists carefully to be aware that the changing and they're they're activist donors. Uh, so so the the you need to be aware of changing donor types so that you can be. Um, be 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 ready but you also need to remember i was reading a, an article that the average age of a new donor to a new profit is a nonprofit is 63 years old and the average age of donor the donors who are on your donor files is 67 and i think sometimes we forget they were writing to our grandparents you know, um, I know Tom Ahern did a presentation, and he showed a picture of his mother, this beautiful older lady with a very wrinkled face, and he said, my friends, this is the donor of today. So I tell yeah. people that means you've got to have large fonts. <laughs> you know, yeah. you do not want to send a letter that makes you read for, reach for your reading glasses. I mean, you and I probably both use reading glasses, and we're not over <laughs> the hill, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, you know, and I also see, I want to talk a little bit about the smaller so, so the new, so really just, just to make sure that we can, so the new rule there um, is to recognize that there are different types of donors, and the older female donor it may be your most profitable and may be the one least served. Yeah, absolutely. Great takeaway. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I want to close with a, a trend. I talked to my friend Colette Murray, who's one of the great uh, recruiters across the country and the world for fundraisers, and I asked her if fundraisers were more willing to change jobs now that the economy is loosening up, and she said yes. So we sh- we can expect more movement in the ranks of fundraisers and more transition, which I think is never good. Um, but she is also seeing that people who are hiring fundraisers want to see a track record of actually closing, soliciting and closing major gifts, not just working with uh, um, volunteers to make those asks. So a lot of times candidates are, having, are being asked to provide a list of significant major gifts that they closed so I'm always I see you know I think there's a big trend in our industry towards staff solicitation and using um, volunteers to open the door. Absolutely. Um, so you know, I think we've we given sure up that, on our volunteers. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sorry. Don't give up on your volunteers. That that's a takeaway, and make sure that they're integrated into your campaigns. Gail, how can my listeners uh, contact you? 
Well, I have my site called gailperry.com, and it's also fireduppfundraising.com. They both go to the same place. And I've got a treasure trove of interesting, sometimes quirky, um, little blog posts. They're about 600 or 800 words that you can use, my listening friends. You can use these, and you can pull them out, and you can send these full posts to your board members. And you can use me for political cover. <laughs> for example, one of my favorite blog posts is why you should ditch your next event. And so my friends, if you're listening, if you're trying to argue and trying to persuade people to ditch another event so that you can have time for major donors, pull out my post, send it to your board members, and use me as there your you backup go. authority. And you, can find yeah. that, you can find that link, Gail, over in the radio links today at tenhart.com. Yeah. This is Gail Perry here live on the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget, we'll be back next week with Philip King. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.